Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Core, where we're defining the five values of who we are and what we're most passionate about. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, uh, both to you in the room and online. Uh, Before I get started this morning, I just wanted to make sure I stopped and just said thank you uh, to so many of you. My mom passed away a few weeks ago, and I've gotten a lot of cards and texts and emails and calls, and uh, again, it's just a great reminder uh, that it's really good to do life together uh, with you as a church and a church family. So thanks for all your support to both myself and my family through that. Now, some of you probably don't know that we have two dogs. In fact, here's a picture of our dogs, and yes, one of them is a COVID puppy. Their names are Lenny and Maisie. And one of the things we just crack up about Lenny and Maisie is they can both have their own toys. They could have a bone or a toy, but no matter what, they always want the other one's toy or bone. And so it's this constant, if one of them leaves it, leaves it be, the other one's going to go snatch it, even though they already had something. And it kind of reminds me of two-year-olds, and other than the word no, their favorite word is mine, right? They just want their thing. It's mine. It doesn't belong to you. I don't want to share it. It's mine. Someone else obviously gave that toy to them, and yet they completely, 100% believe it belongs to them and nobody else. And of course, I think about that, and only two-year-olds would have that kind of mentality, right? There's no way that any of us in this room would, or watching online would think, that's mine, it belongs to me. Where the truth is, I have a lot of two-year-olds still left in me. And really, that's what I want to talk about with you this morning in our final week of this series we've been in called CORE, where we are looking at the five values that define who we are as a church and that we're most passionate about. And today, we come to our fifth and final value, which is that we want to be whole life stewards at Cherry Hills. You can see it there. Hopefully, you grabbed one of those on your seats this morning as well. Now, the word whole actually has two definitions according to Webster's. The first definition is obviously all of something, right? The whole thing, not a part of it, not a section of it, but the whole thing. But the second way this word whole is used is to describe a healthy person, a whole person, right? When we are physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually sound, we are whole people. Everything is functioning in our lives the way it should be. And as I talked about a few weeks ago, this is actually Jesus' dream for us. I have come that you may have life and life to the full or the whole life, a whole life. But here's the thing, and this is what this message is going to be about. If you're on your notes, in order to be whole, we must first give the Lord our whole lives. A big problem I see Uh, In the American church right now, and I would include myself in this for sure, that causes so many of us to miss out on the whole life that Jesus came to offer us, is that we've made this big mistake between separating our spiritual lives from the rest of our lives. This has gone on for centuries. Some people describe it as separating things into secular and sacred Now, maybe a picture of what I'm talking about right now would help. This is a GIF, for those of you over the age of 30, that our son sent to us this week. And I thought, you know what? That is a perfect description of how we've kind of separated the rest of our life from our spiritual life. We give God a little piece of the cake when the reality is he deserves the whole cake. When we call Jesus our Lord, we're telling him he's our king. He's our ruler, which means he now has authority over our whole lives. 
The word we've used to explain this around here is simply that we are God's stewards. Stewards. A steward is simply somebody who looks after the property of another because they realize, unlike my dogs, unlike the two-year-old there, that nothing really belongs to us in the first place. A steward says, everything that I have, everything that I am, is on loan to me from the Lord. Now, this isn't just about money, though that's certainly a part of it. It includes some other things that I'm going to mention a little bit later. But friends, the Bible is crystal clear about this. If you're following on your notes, if you are a Christian, everything we have and are belongs to the Lord. The problem is the moment we're born here in America, we are told, whether directly or indirectly, that we are self-made people. What's ours is ours. It's mine. What I've done, what I've earned, it's mine. But Jesus says it couldn't be more different for us if we are his disciples. Disciples know that everything we have, everything that we are now belongs to him. And he expects that we are to live our lives as if that's actually true. He gets the whole cake. And this is called whole life stewardship. Paul wrote about it this way in 1 Corinthians 4.2, which I have on your notes there. Would you read it out loud with me? It says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now why would we include this as one of our top five values as a church? Honestly, it's because we love you. And we want you to live the full life or the abundant life that Jesus came to offer. That's what he wants for you. And therefore, that's what we want for you. Now, the most straightforward passage in the Bible that talks about this idea of stewardship is found in Matthew 25. So if you want to start turning there, I welcome you to do this. This is a passage we've studied many times before, but values need to be repeated in order for them to actually start giving lived out. In fact, Peggy just last week was saying, man, a lot of these messages in this series seem really familiar Well, they're supposed to seem really familiar. I don't know about you. I need to be constantly reminded of these things so that they start to actually become a part of my life. So we're going to look at a passage we've looked at before, but I want to invite you to look at with me again. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, as we remind ourselves once again what it means to be God's stewards. Now, a little context here. In Matthew 25, Jesus is sharing three parables to help disciples of his to know how to live their lives before he returns. That's what this all is about. Jesus is coming again, and so he tells three parables about how we're to live our lives in the in-between time. And he starts this second parable with verse 14, which again, I'd like you to read out loud on your notes with me. It says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, very important to understand right away, this is a softball question. I'm just warming you up here. Who does the money belong to in this parable? You can answer the question. Does it belong to the servants or to the master? To the master. Good. It's the master's money. The master is the owner. The servant is the steward. And we'll never get this whole life stewardship thing right until we first get that settled in our mind. One of my favorite stories is of an old elderly woman who was shopping at a mall one day. She came out of the mall with all these bags in her hand. She got to her car, and she realized there were four men trying to rob her car. So she dropped all her shopping bags, and she pulled out a handgun from her purse, and she forced them to get out of the car. And they got out of the car. They ran away. She got into her car, and as she tried to start her car, she realized there was a car that looked exactly the same about four rows down. 
And sure enough, the car wouldn't start. So she ended up going to the police station and she tried to explain everything and the police officer started laughing and he pointed over at the bench there. He said, those four guys just came in here claiming an elderly woman was trying to kill them. (laughs) The woman thought the car was her car, but it really belonged to someone else. And similarly, we think, I think, all this stuff I have is mine when it really belongs to someone else. The steward says, none of this is mine. It's been entrusted to me. It belongs to someone else. Have you come to the place where you've understood that about your life? If you're on your notes, it was Randy Acorn who said, ownership is a myth. Stewardship is the reality. For disciples of Jesus, our whole life belongs to the Lord. Verse 15. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, a little background here. In these days, there was no such thing as big corporations like we have today. There wasn't Apple. There wasn't Amazon. There was none of that. Wealth was basically concentrated in just a few households, and apparently, this is one of those households. And you're not going to get the story. You're not going to understand the parable We are talking about staggering amounts of money in this parable. One bag of gold, how the NIV translated it, would be worth about 20 years worth of wages for us today, pre-tax. And so think about it. The guy getting the five bags of gold is essentially getting 100 years worth of wages. So Jesus is talking about something that no one would ever expect to happen. And here's the key to understanding this parable. If I am one of the servants... I would have seen this as a life-changing opportunity. I think sometimes I read this and I go, oh, what a burden. They would have not have seen this as a burden at all, but as a staggering act of generosity. And even more than that, it would have been a word of confidence that the master trusts them. The servants would think, my master must really believe in me and trust me. And it's the same for us today as you're following on your notes. As God's stewards, we've been entrusted with his resources. Whatever it is you have, God has given it to you, listen, confidently believing in you as his steward. He trusts us. I don't know about you. I have to come back to this almost every day. Like I said, I still fall into the mine mindset. But every day I need to remind myself it is not mine. It is his, and he has entrusted this with me because he believes in me. Of course, I know today we read verse 15 and can't help but wonder, why does one get five and the other gets two and the other gets one? It doesn't seem fair, but look closely. Verse 15 tells us exactly why. The master knows what each of his servants can handle. And he doesn't want to burden them with something they cannot do. You know what that's called? Grace. He shows these servants grace. This is good news. God doesn't demand from us things we can't do, things we don't have. What he gives to a person is exactly what that person can handle. All he asks, whatever it is he's given us, whether it be large or small, that we would use it for his glory. Remember the story of the widow's mite in Luke chapter 21? She gives two pennies, and Jesus said she has given her all. If you're on your notes, God's not expecting equal return, but equal effort. For those who have been given more, more will be required, but all of us are going to be held accountable for what we have been given. Look at verse 16. 
The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. I love that. He went at once. Of course he did. This was an incredible act of generosity, a chance of a lifetime. He went at once so that the master wouldn't change his mind, so that he wouldn't lose this amazing opportunity, and boy, does he make the most of it. This servant understood just because the master had put these resources in his hands that he didn't expect them to stay there. Verse 17, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. No wonder the master trusted these servants, doubling what he had given them, doubling the investment. They must have invested in Amazon in 1998 or something. Verse 18, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, we don't understand why he decided to do this until later in the story, but let's just put it this way. This servant wanted nothing to do with his master, and he wanted nothing to do with the responsibility he'd been given. And so what does he do? He buries it. He moves on with his life. So the bottom line of this section, if you're on your notes, is our job is to make the most of what we've been given. Our job is to make the most of what we've been given. The first two servants did. The third servant didn't. In verse 19, we come to the heart of this text. Let's read it out loud together on our notes there. It says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. He settled accounts. That indicates what? That the master expected these servants to do something with his resources. And in a very similar way, the Bible tells us one day our master, Jesus, is going to come back and say to us, what did you do with all the stuff that I gave to you? Peggy and I just met with our financial advisor talking about the future, college for our kids. We're talking about retirement. And we expect when we're giving our financial advisor our money right now that he will be investing it for the future, that he will be earning things on our behalf, not putting it in a drawer in his office somewhere. And one day, you and I are going to stand before God, and God's going to say, I gave you all the chance of a lifetime. I mean, especially those of us who live here in the United States of America. I have given you a body. I've given you a mind. I've given you time. I've given you a job. I've given you spiritual gifts. I've given you so much more. What are you doing with the resources that I have given to you? If you're following on your notes, all of us will be asked, how did you invest your life for my glory? How would you answer that question today? Are you stewarding your whole life for him and his glory or are you burying it right now? Now, I hope more than anything else this morning. The voice you're hearing right now is not, don't mess this up. That is not the voice of the Father. I hope more than anything else, the voice you're hearing this morning is, I believe in you. I believe in you. I've given you these things so that you can use them to edify others, to glorify my name. Friends, it's my contention that that is really the whole point of this parable. The point of the parable isn't that God is some strict taskmaster waiting to punish us for the mistakes we make. The point of this story is he really badly wants us to get this right. Because our God is the Lord of the reward. Look at verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained 
five more. Now read verse 21 out loud on your notes with me with great joy. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I'll continue. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Can you imagine standing before Jesus, hearing the words, well done. You know, we all seek aff- affirmation from others. When the coach says, good hit, your spirits are lifted, aren't they? When the college professor says, that was a great paper, you get a confidence boost. When all of you in this room come up to me after the sermon today and say, that was amazing. It's really going to help me. Maybe that's a bad example. You'll have to wait till the end, I guess. But the point of it all is all of us enjoy when our talents and our gifts are recognized by others. And for the Christian, when it's all said and done, I don't want to hear anything more than well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And again, I hope this is what you're hearing right now. God wants to say that to us. That is his desire for us. He can't wait to celebrate a job well done with us. Now, one of the things I get a kick out out of those, that verse we read out loud there is the master affirms these two servants because they've been faithful with, quote, did you notice that? A few things. That's hilarious. I mean, we're talking, remember, about ridiculous amounts of resources and money, and yet for God, that's nothing. These servants ain't seen nothing yet. The adventure for them is just about to begin. If you're following, a reward awaits those who stewards God's resources well. Now, I've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. I don't know what you picture heaven to be like. But if you think we're just going to be sitting on clouds playing harps, it sounds pretty boring to me. It sounds pretty boring to me. I would dread it. I know, I know I would. I know you probably too. But can I just tell you something? That picture of heaven does not come from the Bible. I really believe this may be one of the greatest lies that Satan has told us as a church today, that that's what heaven's going to be like. Because after all, if I thought that what was heaven going to be like, that heaven would be boring, then why wouldn't I live for this world? Why wouldn't I try to make the most of my short life here on earth? Thankfully, though, that's not what the Bible says about heaven. In fact, if you believe what the Bible says, the thought of heaven should fill us with joy and excitement. Not only is heaven going to be a place of rest and relief from all the diseases and burdens and tears of this world, but listen, it's also going to be a place of learning. It's going to be a place of activity, artistic expression, exploration, discovery, deep friendships, and yes, as we see here, a chance for us to continue to serve the Lord in an even greater capacity. I personally believe heaven is going to be a lot more like the Garden of Eden and the way God intended it than it is going to be how we've sometimes pictured it up in the sky far away. Jesus is coming to create a new heaven and a new earth. Of the many things that heaven is going to be, it will not be boring. Amen? But here's the reality. The way we use our lives here on earth is going to determine our experience of heaven. 
Let that sink in. God is watching the way we use our lives here, and he does this through an apprentice program called stewardship. You've heard the saying before, Christ is preparing a place for us. That's, that's from John 14. It's true. But in this parable, we're learning, if you're on your notes, Jesus is preparing a place for us and preparing us for that place. And the choice we have is we can either invest our lives here on earth for a temporary reward, or we can invest our lives in an eternal reward that you can't even imagine. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, which as Jenny already mentioned, we're going to start in a a new series next week in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How do we do that? How do we store up treasures in heaven? What's the word? Stewardship. Using what God has given us to further his kingdom here on earth. Now, I wish the parable ended here. Sadly, not everybody is going to receive that kind of affirmation or reward like these two servants did. Look at verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Is that true? So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Here the servant gives his apparent reason for doing nothing with what his master had given him. He says he's afraid. He knew, he knew what was expected of him. But instead of doing something with it, he just buried it in the ground and accomplished nothing for his master. This is a generous gift, an amazing opportunity. But instead of taking responsibility, he actually has the gall to blame his master for it. This is your fault, not mine. What does this tell us about this servant? He didn't know his master. Nor did he care about his master. He didn't love his master. He wanted nothing to do with his master. He wanted nothing to do with the responsibility he'd been given. Verse 26, his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, this sounds harsh, but the truth is we would all have the same expectation. Randy Acorn has a great illustration. He says, suppose you have something important you want to get someone who needs it, get to someone who needs it. You wrap it up and hand it over to the UPS guy. What would you think if instead of delivering the package, he took it home, opened it up, and kept it for himself? You'd say, this guy doesn't get it. The packages don't belong to him. He's just the middleman. His job is to get the package from you to the person you want to have it. The same is true here. Just because God puts his resources in our hands doesn't mean he intends for it to stay there. Friends, I want to remind you what this is all about. It's about God's mission. It's about God's mission here on earth. He has called us as his disciples to be his mission bearers. Our vision is to see every generation give themselves fully to Jesus and his mission. This is why God has invested in us, to see the name of Jesus carried to the ends of the earth, the hope and life and salvation that is found in him and him alone. And he wanted nothing to do with that. Verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. 
For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Does that bother you? I get a little riled up by that. Why not give it to the guy who had four and not ten? Friends, this is a pretty common principle in our world today, in our lives today. Galatians 6-7 puts it this way, we will reap what we sow. That can be good things. We can reap good things, or we can reap bad things in our life as well. And this is true for every area of our life. We reap what we sow. If we want to be musicians, the more I practice, the better I'm going to get. Sports, school, so on and so on. When we invest our lives into something, we're going to expect that the investment grows even more. If I practice free throws every day, I would hope eventually I'd start getting better at free throws. And here's the idea here. That's true in the spiritual realm as well. When we faithfully, we act faithfully with the responsibilities God has given us spiritually, guess what that's going to do? It's going to say to God, I can trust them. I can trust her. I'm going to give them even more responsibility for my kingdom. However, if we do nothing, if I never practice free throws, I'm going to lose whatever it is I had in the first place. Verse 30. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's the sobering part of the story, isn't it? The fact that God is the Lord of the reward and gives us the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, that's the good news. The accountability news, though, that's the hard news. We don't like to picture God this way. We have this tendency to think that everything's going to work out in the end. I prayed a prayer when I was six years old, and that means, what do you think that means? God has entrusted you with his resources. And part of being his follower, his disciple, part of believing in him is using those, stewarding them for his life, for his glory, and for his mission here on earth. Friends, we are going to stand before God one day, and he will ask us two questions. What did you do with my son? And what did you do with all the things that I gave you? And so how do we make sure we hear, well done? Well, it comes back to this. We must start seeing our lives as being on loan from God and being used for his glory, period. That's where it starts. This means giving my whole life to him. If you flip over on the back of your notes, I just put a few other things that we are to steward for God and his glory there. Yes, we are to steward our money for God's glory. This is why, as a church, we continue to offer classes like Financial Peace University. We're less interested in constantly talking about you giving to the church, and we're way more interested in you becoming healthy financially. And part of that is giving to Jesus' mission, time, Oh, my goodness, friends. God has been convicting me about this, how easily I can just waste time. I can waste so much time. Our bodies, didn't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says? Our work, our jobs, our school, we do all those things not to please others, but to please God. We give our best. Spiritual gifts, Jenny just talked about this Each one has been given a gift to be used not only to glorify God, but to edify the body of Christ as well. We are to steward those things. Our marriages, the raising of children, if we have children. I could mention so many things as well, but the point I'm trying to make is that our whole lives belong to the Lord. Our whole lives. And we are to use them for his glory. We have one brief opportunity 
a lifetime here on earth. It goes like that. To use our lives to make a difference. To quote the great Russell Crowe from Gladiator, if you're following on your notes. How we steward what God has given us will echo into eternity. I want to make sure you're clear with that. Eternity is a long, long time. Our lives here on earth are like that. But how we live our lives here on earth is going to determine how eternity goes for us. And so as we close, here's the question I want to invite you to reflect on with me during a time of prayer. You're welcome to shut your Bibles, get rid of your notes. I know most of you already did that. But I just believe sometimes there's moments for us to not just gather information. You got a lot of information today. You wrote a lot of things in the blanks. Sometimes we just need to pause, don't we? And we need to say, Lord, I got a lot of information today. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to hear? And so I'm gonna pray, and then I'm gonna leave some time just for some silent reflection. This is a chance for us to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, our hearts. Maybe he will say to you, well done. Keep doing what you're doing. Maybe he might point out something in your life. He says, I want that too. I want you to use that for my glory as well. But let's allow allow him the time to speak. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just sang that you would pour yourself out in this city. And I ask that you would do that even now in this room. Thank you for the reminder that our lives are here on loan. Help us not to live just for what this world offers. Help us to live for the day we stand before you to hear the words, well done, which is what I know you want us all to hear. So we just spend some time and reflection, some prayer, seeking you, laying this before you now, asking you to speak to us, to reveal things to us, to show yourself to us. thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And we thank you that you don't ask us ever to do anything you don't first do. You gave your whole life. You sent your son and he offered himself up so that we may have eternal life. How can we not do the same with our whole lives? We're grateful. We're humbled. We're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today.